to the video. This is Russ. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? <sighs> Hi, uh, this is uh, Zach D. Roberts uh, with the Emerald City Video Podcast. I'm here with uh, Russ Burlingame, and we are talking Hello. this week. Hello. Uh, and this week we're talking about Sicario. Indeed. Yes. Which uh, we're, we're talking about in part because it has a sequel coming out, yes. which is baffling, not because mm-hmm. it's not a good movie that deserves a sequel, but just because it is the kind of movie that typically does not get a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, but on the other hand, you know, the fact that they immediately announced um, uh, A Quiet Place as having a sequel, which perplexes me. Um, yeah. It's, you know, I mean, because it's not, because again, it's one of those, it's, yeah, this is an action film. I mean, this is like at, at its core an action film, but it's an arty as fuck action film. <laughs> um, yeah. and I, when, when they announced the sequel, I was like, okay, I can see how they could do another one. Um, yeah, but based on the trailer, I'm very, I don't know. Have you seen the trailer of the sequel? No, I haven't. I'm extremely apprehensive of it, which, I mean, there, there's, I, I, God knows whether it's not, it's, it's publicly available and the film has been out for, for years now, but, um, the sequel picks up kind of in some way, shape and form after this film. Uh, the only person kind of removed from the film, it seems, um, is, uh, Emily Blunt and, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. I can, I've never known figure out a person's mm-hmm. name. Um, that basically the FBI agents in the first film. Um, so yeah. basically it's the sequel is the same world. It's the same universe. I mean, it's same kind of everything except that, uh, the cartels now have, um, helped support a, um, um, Islamic terrorist, um, enter, uh, go across mm. the border. And so basically now the, Josh Brolin and the CIA agents and uh, Benicio del Toro's character and, and kind of that whole crew yeah. basically are like given the go have fun, do whatever you want to do, huh. like figure it out. And it's like 12 guys. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like the crew. It's Jace. It basically it's a JSOC crew, a SEAL team and, um, a couple CIA agents, or at least we assume they're CIA agents because again, they never really clarify right. in the first film. But yeah, and so like big explosions and the whole point is basically to start a fucking war on the border. Um, huh. like an actual genuine fucking war. Not like, oh, right, we're gonna right. start a war with the car, a war on drugs. No, no, like, yeah, fucking tanks. I mean, like, I don't know about tanks. I didn't see any tanks in the trailer, but like, yeah, big shit. Um, so it's quite, it's quite not only an escalation, it's kind of a class. It, it already, it exudes kind of sequel syndrome. Um, because, uh, the first one was really great. So let's just add budget (laughs) or something because I mean, this one, this one was, I I don't know. Well, just go ahead. What, what did you, I guess your first thoughts on the film? Like what was, what was your first thoughts on the film? It's one of those movies that it's very well done. I'm glad that I watched it. I don't know that I'll watch it again anytime real soon. I kind of lump it into the like 21 grams kind of category of like, oh God. Yes, I know. This is how the world is, but fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. but I mean, it was, 
it was very, I, I really liked what, uh, and I, do, I can never pronounce the director's name, so I'm just going to say Denny. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like what, what Denny does in this movie. Uh, director one of the things Blade, that you talk from Blade Runner. So the new Blade right, Runner exactly. 20, whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that you had mentioned, I think, when you were talking to me before I had finished it was that it's so dark that there are scenes where you have to like turn everything off in order to watch the movie. Yeah, it's definitely and one of those films. That's definitely true. I will say though, it was done really well, even in the context of one of those kinds of movies. Cause one of the things I noticed is that there's that scene in the, in the cop car, uh, the corrupt cop Silvio. Yeah. And, uh, where, they're essentially pulling over Diaz so that they can get to whatever the guy's name is. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Alejandro's in the backseat. And that is a scene where it's basically too dark to watch if you have lights on. Yeah. But when I turned the lights off and kind of looked at it, there's no color gradation. It's like the things that the director wants you to see and then everything else in the car is black. Yeah. And – to me, I'm like, that's a much more kind of artistically satisfying way of creating that kind of dark shadowed whatever than, you know, like when you watch an episode of Arrow where everything is kind of muddy grayscale. I always feel like usually the, the, it's it's kind of a thing that you see in a lot of uh, especially horror films, um, not only just because it's horror and it should be dark, yeah. but like act- a lot of new action films where it's like, well, we're kind of covering for CG or we're covering for green screen or covering for anything like that. And never, there's never a scene in this film that I felt like they're covering for something that the dark, like the ridiculous darkness, because I mean, like I, I watched, I watched it. God, did I see that? I think I saw this in theaters and then I saw it again. I, I personally, I have a weird love hate relationship with this film um, because Mm -hmm. I can't tell whether it's based partially on my basically favorite writer, um, um, Charles, uh, Bowden, not Bowden. Oh my God. Why, why am I blanking on, um, uh, Chuck's name? Jesus. Uh, but, uh, who wrote a lot about, he wrote murder city, um, mm-hmm. and which is about, uh, Juarez and about the Sicarios. And he basically spent his kind of entire, the last 30 years of his life, um, writing about this world and it had, there's actually a couple lines in the film um, kind of about just when they're like, did I actually write it down? Um, Just generally about like the despair of like going to Juarez and, and things Mm -hmm. like that. Oh, oh, it's like the, 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 the line um, was it Taft um, that was a fucking great line. It was like Taft, you know, Taft once, you know, met with the president uh, of Mexico and he brought 4,000 troops. Do you think he felt safe? It, that's like an essentially um, line that like yeah. that type of thing. Once you cross that border, it's not just a different nation. It's basically a completely different world. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of those, it's kind of like the way that a lot of people feel about World War Z. Um, where, mm-hmm. oh my God, the source material is so great. And then they came out with a film and they're like, ah, we'll never be able to have a film then. It's right. the way, like, I've always wanted to make a film out of Murder City or at least like a semi-doc out of it, like sort of thing ever since I read it, like, I think five years ago. Um, and I feel like the 
since this film exists and then now it has a sequel. I don't, even though it's yeah. unbelievably different stories, like this doesn't fall like murder city doesn't follow, you know, a bunch of basically CIA, FBI agents and this sort of thing, but just the world that it tells and the way that it tells it is so very similar. It'd be, I don't know. Um, maybe it would be a good third film or something, but <laughs> because yeah. yeah, fuck it. Well, it can have a trilogy out of this, but, uh, but I, <laughs> the more, since I've watched, I watched this like, I think twice in the plane for some reason. <laughs> Like I just didn't watch anything else that I had on my phone. And then I watched this basically again uh today just to kind of give a refresher. So, I mean, I think I've seen it probably a total of like five times uh since it mm-hmm. came out. And I think every time I watch it, I actually appreciate it more. And that's just, and that's even watching it just on a cell phone now. Um, not watching yeah. it on like, I, th- I watched it a couple days ago, I think, uh, on like the 40 inch TV I have downstairs, which, you know, you can actually turn off all the, and it's super dark in the room and that sort of thing. And it was like, yeah. you can really appreciate, like, I think that this film is cinematically better and directed better than Blade Runner. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 2045, 2045. Yeah. 2045. Yeah. 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 Um, which I know everybody Remember, loves. Just like I, Cartel 2045. Yes. <laughs> which is interesting because I mean, I was about to draw some parallels to Cartel because. <laughs> Cartel 2045, which it kind of has some. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I mean, it's impossible. Land and everything like that, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was I, I, uh, I, my start rant, at least, about the film. But yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of wish, actually, that had I realized we were going to do Sicario so soon, I probably mm-hmm. would have just done Cartel 2045 and Sicario <laughs> as a single episode because <laughs> it would have just amused me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, no, you definitely want to see the, this is definitely the double feature. I don't, I don't, which one would you want to watch first though? That's the question. <laughs> I, I would want to watch this one first because I feel like Cartel 2045 is just so balls to the wall nuts <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. you watch it second to kind of wash the taste out of your mouth of the stuff where you're like, oh yeah, everything's horrible. That's right. <laughs> It was a palate basically? Wait, though no, you you kind of want a palate cleanser though, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, yeah, no, um, yeah, I don't know what, um, I mean, what, because uh, I'm trying to, fuck, I'm trying to already remember what you said at the beginning. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's right. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting because there's a great um, uh, website. War is boring. Um, which is a, a site I recommend um, checking out. And I'm trying to find the link here. They actually, they had a review of it uh, back when it came out titled uh, Sicario is a nihilistic thrill ride. It's interesting because it, it, in the, in the review, uh, it, it talks about how it's basically, it's very similar to the first season of uh, true detective um, and kind of a, uh, more again, a more nihilistic and and more action, a little bit more action, traditional action than like say New Country, uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, which right. also starts Josh Brolin because everything has to star Josh Brolin now. Um, it's a law. It's a law. <laughs> but uh, it it is interesting how it exists in the world because I I because beyond be, between the score, which is so, it's it's kind of like that that score. Um, where it's a blong, it kind of has its own world where it exists. It's so omnipresent that you notice it, you notice it almost too much, but also I'm not quite sure 
be interesting to listen to this either with a different score or sans score um, and see whether anything has the same effect because I mean, some of the lines could potentially come off as, as, as jokey or too heavy or too dramatic or, you know, whatever for what yeah. the scene is. Um, but with that music, it's, it's just dread. I mean, I literally, I literally Google searched yeah. Sicario dread score and I found like a whole bunch of people who basically wrote the <laughs> same, wrote notes or blogs or whatever about it. Be like the omnipresent dread of the, mu- the musical score. <laughs> which by the way yeah, is nice. the same composer who did Arrival which weirdly I also watched over the weekend and I completely didn't make the huh. connection and I were on the flights back and forth from the NRA convention uh, in Dallas uh, which is appropriate and again I was like wow the the score sound it sounds oh well now it makes sense it's the it's the same yeah. guy <laughs> so, yeah. to go back to my kind of point about mm-hmm. the blacks I really mm-hmm. liked the use uh the way that they used color in this movie because this is a movie that is grimy and gritty yeah but not in the way that pretty much every movie has been since three kings yeah yeah. like three kings kind of set a a particular aesthetic and everybody has kind of done it that same way since yeah this movie things are like exposed a little differently and it's like even in the dark scenes and even in the kind of gritty grimy scenes it's clear this movie was shot on 4k. Like you can see the edges of objects. Like there's nothing hidden in, like there's nothing hidden in shadow that isn't meant to be. And it's, it was kind of a refreshing look for a movie to have a movie where it's like, yeah, everything is kind of dark and everything is kind of grimy, but that doesn't mean that like you can't see anything. And one of the scenes in particular that I noticed it was the scene where, Matt, Josh Brolin's character is Matt, right? Um, Josh Brolin's, yeah. 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 Uh, but the, the scene where he is essentially holding a gun on Kate in the trenches there. Yeah. Uh, where she like gets knocked down and then she gets up again and, and never going to keep her down. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but she gets back up and she's like holding her gun and it's like, it's dark and there's mud everywhere and she's got blood on her face and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, wow, I can actually see what's going on on screen in spite of all of those factors. That's kind of yeah. astonishing. Cause like movies just don't do that anymore. Yeah. And I mean that, I mean, I realize that it's, sh- it, this is shot by Deacons. Um, so oh yeah, that's right. That's Roger Deacons. So it's like, I, I, it's one of those, I'm like, vaguely look familiar and that sort of thing. And it was shot on an Ari Alexa digital camera. So I think I yeah. that 8k. Um, so yeah. whoever did the grading on this is should, deserve, should have deserved an award. But I mean, you're talking yeah. about the guy who did Skyfall, True Grit, um, Assassination. I think he did get an award, right? For this? Did or he get, for, I, I think he I thought he got an award for this. Thing. Didn't he just win? I thought he, he I know he won something. Oh, maybe, maybe it was just a nomination. What, oh, did, wasn't it for? Wasn't it for? Um, did he do Blade Runner? Uh, oh, you know what? He just got a. He just got American. He got an ASC Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, da, 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 da. Hold on. Believe it or not, I had his. I still had his uh, thing pulled up. Like his. Uh, um, page. Nominated, nominated, nominated. Yeah, he gets lots of nominations for the Coen yeah. Brothers movies. Um, 
Academy Award for Cinematography, yeah, yeah, he finally won for Blade Runner, so apparently I was misremembering. Yeah, which I, I, I feel, I think that at least my remembrance of the conversation around that award was he won that award for basically his career. <laughs> Not necessarily, I mean, the yeah. film, I think that film was good, uh, cinematography, it's Deacons, I don't think he can, I don't yeah. think he can do something bad. Um, I mean, you look at his, uh, you know, look at his, uh, resume and you're like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's not a, it's funny. You, you look at the sharpness of, uh, of some of these things and, uh, and his color choices and things. And it's just like, you know, I'm not surprised that he works with Sam Mendes. Uh, I don't think he actually worked on American Beauty, yeah. but like, it, it if you had told me he did i probably would have believed you um yeah because like i as soon as i kind of put together like oh that's who shot this i think of this yeah. and i think of blade runner 2049 and then i think of sam mendes and i'm just like yeah of course of course yeah. uh, Jesus i mean it is amazing when you look at this guy's fucking career oh my god oh yeah um shawshank redemption dead man walking fargo i mean this is just in the 90s uh, Fargo, yeah. Courage Under Fire, Kundun, uh, Big Lebowski, Siege, The Hurricane, Oh Brother Where Out Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, A Beautiful Mind, um, Did Intolerable Cruelty? That must have been a deal with the Coen Brothers. <laughs> like, no, that's what I was going to say. Come do. on and do this. Well, he also, he, I think he's done everything for them because yeah, he did yeah. Barton Fink and yeah. he did uh, Lady Killers, which was also kind of garbage, but it was Coen Brothers. Yeah. Uh, well, it was, kind, it was that. Asterisk Cohen Brothers, if you remember, wasn't it? I think uh, maybe I can't recall. Uh, I thought I I know that they did Intolerable Cruelty and Lady Killers pretty close together, and neither of them felt particularly like a Cohen Brothers movie. Uh, yeah, I thought I remember but, some uh, story about like why it was off, but but anyway, other than Tom Hanks, um, but and being just, a remake, uh, which was, I mean, that was part of it probably is the fact that the Coen brothers have done a lot of stuff that evokes a lot of other stuff, but I feel like that was the only like straight up remake they've done. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah. Um, yeah, not that I, I, I can't any anyway. other ones. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, this is a dude who within three years of starting his career had shot Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so, and it's and it's it is oh. stunning that it is stunning that he didn't win an Academy Award until until uh, yeah oh yeah Blade Runner twenty forty nine which is by far I mean it again it's a great it's a very well shot film yeah. but like you look at it like literally probably almost any of his other films should have won yeah <laughs> like, he didn't get even nominated for Hudsucker Proxy <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But it let, is. Let me say one thing. Uh, I I am kind of amused, given the themes of, uh, given the themes of Sicario and the fact that we're spending so much time on Deacons. <laughs> I am kind of amused that the guy who shot Sicario also shot Air America. Oh my God! Well, it's gone full circle in the conversation. <laughs> I mean, it is it is <laughs> fascinating because I mean, like rewatching this film in the middle of, um, in the middle of the you know. God, I always say bringing everything to Donald Trump, but um, in the middle of the Donald Trump years, um, administration, yeah. like this is, this film is unfortunately one of those art, like it, I think it's it's art film light, um, but um, it uh, kind of in the way most of this director's films are, like they're yeah that like 
kind of Fincher-esque, like where it's like it's commercially successful, but also art. Um, yeah, those very. And I think you can see Ryan Coogler kind of lumped into that. Yeah, one more project from now because obviously he did one like straight up art film, and then he went for I'm going to do an arty Rocky sequel, and I'm going to do an arty superhero movie. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it's fantastic that like this sort of film could have even gotten the budget that it did um, because it's yeah. not like everyone there's no sexiness in it there's no the the one sex scene in the film is turns into a not i don't almost a murder scene um yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like there's no you know there's nothing in it that and and also even at this point i wouldn't say that um that Dennis had the kind of Coen brothers cred to be able to do something like no country for old men yeah. where there's just like fucking no sexiness. No, like it's slow <laughs> in a lot of parts yeah. and you have a creepy, you know, you basically have these kind of creepy, there's not a lot of dialogue. It's not witty banter. It's not, you know, yeah. even the action is, is regretful um, for the yeah. most part. And most, you know, I don't know if you want to jump to this, but like, how do you feel about Emily Blunt's, Blunt's character, uh, Macer? It's like she – I'm frustrated by I feel her. Like, yeah, me too. I, I feel like the filmmakers thought they were making a much more empowered female character than they were. Yeah. Uh, she was – I mean she was a character who could have been really great in a lot of ways, and then she, it felt like she got undercut by the script in a couple of key – kind of points in the story where she never was able to fully recover the power that she lost. Like even just going back to that sex scene, like I feel like from that point on, you never take her, the film, excuse me, never takes her quite as seriously as before that happened. Yeah. And it's, and it, I mean, and it, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I want her because she's, you start the film, which I mean, I, I guess it's one of those things where I feel like everything was purposeful. Um, the fact that they, you know, basically cut her out under the knee, you know, the knees like relatively quickly in it. Um, in the way that just even the conversation of the, you know, the men in the boardroom are talking, mm-hmm. you know, when she's about to be selected. Um, and, you know, and even her partner is kind of continually, obviously it's a joking and it's a partner thing, yeah. but like, since you never get really anything else, it's just like, what happened to you? You know, you're wearing the same t-shirt and you need to get a bra and like it's this yeah. weird, that weird relationship, which I, I kind of liked because it was, it was something outside of the normal male, female, like cop partner thing where like he's vaguely protective of her, but it's quite mm. clear that she's a bit more of a badass than he is. Um, yeah. And uh and mind you, this is the the, the star of Get Out too, which is <laughs> which yeah. is always weird that he keeps pop he it's like reverse. He's one of those weird guys, weird actors that like he's in all these amazing he's in all these great films and he was he's never like he's it wasn't even the fourth or fifth string, he was like second <laughs> second string yeah. actor in the film. And you but you never really noticed him. I mean, he was he just he was a he's a solid actor. And then you're like, you go yeah. back in time and start watching these films. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> How didn't yeah. I notice him before? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. I mean, it's one of those things where I recognized him from Black Panther. Yeah. And uh, that was 
I, I don't know pre get out if I would have recognized like he's one of those actors. I feel like I would have been like, Oh, that guy's really solid. And he looks vaguely familiar, but I don't know that I would have recognized him, recognized him. But there's, I mean, he's one of those, he's basically, he, for at least probably until he did get out and now black Panther, he's relatively, he's trying to think of a, like a white actor who's basically the interchangeable third bill. Like you can be like, oh well, we couldn't have got this guy, so we'll just put in this guy. And like, there's there's at least a couple I, actors. I would who say his, may, yeah. maybe Victor Garber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who appears in this movie as well? <laughs> yeah. Which again, this is one of those films. It's like that weird ass cast. <laughs> Which again, it's also yeah. a Marvel. It's also a like Marvel cast film. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually I took everything while we were. What's that? Yeah. I said I took some notes because you'd already kind of pointed out that, you know, we have uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, uh, what's his name? The Punisher and Josh Brolin. John Barenthal, uh, yeah. Uh, and then Victor Garber from Legends of Tomorrow, obviously. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't actually catch that one because obviously. Yeah, but <laughs> And then even Silvio was actually uh, Jasper Stilwell. He was in like three Marvel movies and then he <laughs> got moved into the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. He yeah. was one of the chief uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who be- turned out to be a, a Hydra sleeper agent in um, second Captain America film, Winter Soldier. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's one of those weird things where you're like, yeah. And, and then also I, I, I made a simpler a similar note that – Alejandro's backstory is basically just Drax's backstory from Guardians, which is kind of funny since his closest ally is Thanos. <laughs> that's that's. I feel like that actually might be something you have to write for comic book. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Let me just write this like essay and be like, <laughs> be like the sort of thing that like you write a you write a like a solid enough essay and it wins a fucking like Eisner like for comic book journalism or something. <laughs> You're like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> The story of Thanos and, and Drax <laughs> is the eternal story of of whatever. But um, yeah. I'm sure you can connect it to some Shakespeare play. Uh, and then I, I then I would also, of course, have to connect it to Cartel 2045. Yes, of course. Which would then take remove the award away from you. Like, <laughs> well, he had me all the way till Cartel 2045. <laughs> it's like Hamlet, but you know, Cartel 2045. Um, Worth it. But, but yeah. Um, oh, and well, Del Toro, Vinicius Del Toro. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck are we Vinicius talking about? So yeah, that, no. that's what um, I was. I knew yeah. there was a third person that you had pointed out that I wasn't remembering, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, soon there will just be fourteen actors allowed to act in, in films, <laughs> which isn't that far off at this point. But but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I'm also, uh, just, just talking about, uh, Josh, the Josh Brolin of it all. I'm, I'm kind of bummed hearing you talk about the sequel and the idea that like, I mean, Kate is our point of view character in this movie yeah. and she might not be the like snarky badass that Josh Brolin mm-hmm. is in this movie, mm-hmm. but he's an awful human. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like maybe taking the soul out of the sequel and just replacing it with more badassery is not well, the direction they, to go to make a they movie. Go, they go a Logan route um, in the sequel based on the trailer. Again, this is just literally based on the 
trailer. I have not, I don't have any more information on it. I, I wish I could get a preview copy of it, but, um, it, uh, it comes out, uh, July 6th, actually, four days after my birthday. So, um, but, uh, we'll have to go to that. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, basically, um, uh, Benicio del Toro's character, um, uh, comes across the, again, this is spoilers, guys. If you, um, if you haven't watched this film yet, it's three years old, but, uh, but yeah, but if it's yeah. spoilers, it just take a break for a little while or come back. Um, but, uh, the, the family that he kills, um, uh, the Thanos of the, uh, the fan of this film that he kills, he, I guess, comes across his daughter and then he ends up having to protect the daughter of the family that he killed the drug, the drug lords that he killed from right. Josh Brolin because she's a witness to basically all of this black ops not quite um not quite uh legal shit that they do along the border because uh right. in the sequel it seems again based on the trailer <laughs> nothing else yeah, yeah. a three minute trailer uh they just throw you know basically they they basically just try to start something um yeah. and try to get the cartels to fight it, fight it out and then be basically be able to escalate it or as they said you know which i fucking love that line that you know basically our our mission is to dramatically escalate the the situation which um, which is something I genuinely, I like, I kind of, I have to forgive this film a little bit for allowing almost all the characters for that matter, but, uh, especially Brolin's character to just deliver really cool lines. <laughs> like, yeah, he just, because he's so fucking like, you know, I mean, from the point that you meet him and he's wearing flip flops in the, in this, you know, in this boardroom, um, to, you know, the time they jump on the private, you know, the Learjet or whatever, and he just, passes out um he's a, an eternally cool fucking character um and you really want to kind of which it's interesting because you almost want to root for him um you almost want to go okay which is it is why i brought up the kind of the trump world um yeah. before you know earlier which is like it'd be very interesting to talk to somebody who is uh a little less um pro uh undocumented immigrant um, than, than we are about this film and see how they view it. Because I mean, we view it as like, you know, an arty film that's trying to have some sort of message. Um, mm -hmm. whether or not it succeeds in that or whatever, you know, about the border war or, you know, and yeah. everything. Um, but I could most certainly see somebody who doesn't come into it with giving a shit about, um, Mexican immigrants, <laughs> um, yeah. being like, this is a fucking great action film. Like this is, right. you know, a dark, cool, you know, action film where I get to feel slightly smart about actually watching it, you know, and it's because it's not, yeah, it, it's not the, it feels Michael Bay, you know? Yeah. It, it feels like the Zack Snyder version of this movie almost. <laughs> like, Are we going like to demand a Snyder cut? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should just demand a Snyder cut of literally everything now. Back on track a little bit. Uh, I, I, I liked the fact that by the time Alejandro gets to the dinner table, yeah. it's just, he does what he's there to do and he leaves. Yeah. Like, I really, it, it, it nine out of ten movies, it goes a slightly different way. And it drags on longer than it needs to. And, uh, when he sat down and started having the conversation, I felt like 
I felt that kind of creeping sense of dread of like, you know, there's no verisimilitude to a story where he gets talked into letting him go or he gets delayed or he gets distracted or whatever. It's like, no, this is a single minded, essentially sociopath who has now got his, his, you know, he's in the end zone. And, and so I was, con- I had that moment of kind of dread of like, uh, every movie we see, like, he gets to that point and then he gets distracted. Yeah. You know, the, like, the Infinity War Star Lord moment of it all, <laughs> where it's just like, in order to facilitate plot, you need to have this thing happen that doesn't make any sense, really. Yeah. Um, and I felt almost like the end of Truman Show. Which I, I know I've told you this before. I always hold up Truman Show as like a near perfect ending because mm-hmm. I remember the the bit when I'm sitting in the theater and he's like just gotten out of there, yeah. and I remembered anticipating there's going to be another ten minutes of this movie, and that's going to be really annoying because what it, what needs to happen is it needs to end right now so that. It, cause, cause at, you reach that point where you're just like, nothing they give me can be more satisfying than going out right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt at the dinner table is it's just like any obstacle they put in his way to drag out the third act another five minutes. Yeah. Would, would only have harmed to the movie. And so, and I fully anticipated it. And then when it didn't come, I was like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny because when you were because you had uh problems uh your the, yeah, the streaming I had, I had was like really cutting out at certain points and you mentioned he sits down at the dinner table and it cuts out and I'm like, "Oh my god, that would be a fantastic fucking ending." Um because yeah, you don't yeah. know whether because he's such a character. I mean, I think he's by far the best character in this film. Um right. Just, Which is probably anyway. why they want to make that hero of the second movie yeah yeah even though it complicates things because the fact that he's a ruthless he has a one-minded kind of ruthless killer and like because they describe he's like well you know he's for the cartels he's for the he's for basically whoever a lot who puts him in the direction of the people that he needs to kill um right and like honestly he's one of those like i'm like i wish i would never see this character again I love this character yeah. so much and I wish I would never see him again. The ending that he has, I like the fact that he, you know, he just exists out there somewhere in the world. But yeah, uh, the, it would have been, it would be fantastic if, if it just had cut out there. I mean, the fact that he does, um, he just blindly fucking kills the three of them. The only thing I wish it kind of, there's like the sick part of me that like wishes that there, that scene almost lasted a little bit longer in him killing the drug lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is also one of those things where, because there's so many fucking goddamn TV shows now where the drug lords are romanticized in such a level, yeah. whether it be Narcos or whatever. I mean, I haven't watched Narcos past the first season. Um, so I literally could be completely wrong. There's so many of these, there's there a lot of TV shows and films where like, oh, yeah. these guys are interesting and care, you know, I mean, like the way that, yeah. again, the way that villain, you know, like the Sopranos and like all, you know, all these TV shows where objectively terrible fucking human beings are turned into heroes. Um, yeah. you know, not even an, an anti, you know, they're anti heroes, like the way that like 
Yeah, Bruce Willis in Die Hard used to be the anti-hero because he like was reluctant. <laughs> like yeah. not because he fucking actually killed innocent people and because he sold drugs yeah. on the street or anything like that. I'm like I mean like that I guess it's one of the reasons why I prefer homicide life on the streets over the wire over wired. Uh over right. the wire. I mean, um is the fact that I'm like as much as I'm not a fan of police officers, um fucking drug dealers who just randomly fucking drive by shootings aren't good people either. <laughs> like yeah. just because they're interesting, which they are, doesn't mean that they don't deserve comeuppance. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and the fact that like he got the the drug dealer in this who you'd never you never had a fucking second of who he was or what he was or who he was or why he give give a shit or anything other than until the moment he sits down at that dinner table um is mm-hmm. is kind of fucking fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and I it's really interesting to me because I feel like there are a lot of areas where they could have had a digression that would have made the movie weaker. And mm-hmm. if there's one like I do have a lot of qualms about characterization in this movie and I do have some kind of bigger picture issues about story that don't, I don't love, but like I do think in terms of like direction and editing, it's like, this is a lean, this is a lean efficient movie. Yeah. Uh, they seem to make the right decisions in pretty much every case other than some of the wonky stuff with Emily Blunt's character where, like I said, I really feel like in a time where kind of mainstream feminist, feminist heroes is becoming more and more of a thing. And at a time where Emily Blunt in particular is one of the the strongest women in Hollywood doing those sorts of roles, seeing her in a role where she's kind of continually cut off at the knees was a weird uh, kind of disappointing thing. But other than her character, I felt like uh, that the, in general the directors made the director made all the right choices. I, I think that because I mean the, this uh, he's he's a smart enough director at least based in, you know, based on watching you know Arrival and and things like that. I would have to say that having the basically the only female character in this film be the one that is you know cut off at her knees and and kind of fucked around with in in almost every shape has to be beyond just the like an easy kind of like the oh she's the female character in the crew and obviously she's the one that's going to be whatever you know um so i mean like it has to be some statement on you know i mean well i mean it doesn't have to be it it clearly this film is clearly in some way like a statement on masculinity um right in the fact that like it's just i mean like the point where um she comes running out hits uh Josh Brolin out of the cave after she got shot in the chest or thanks to the mm-hmm. you know chest plate but she didn't get killed which again is a is again is a very conscious choice I mean he knew particularly to shoot her there not shoot her in the arm not shoot her in the leg shoot right. her in the chest plate so that you know um which is also interesting cuz i i that scene i really love because it adds an extra layer of depth on top of everything else to um, Del Toro's character, Alejandro. Um, But she comes out, takes a swing at him and her, her partner, um, um, Reggie um, is his name, um, you know, obviously tries to immediately defend her and everything like that and gets put down 
immediately by one of the uh, SEAL team, JSOC, guy, whatever guys, like who are straight back from Afghanistan. Um, if I remember correctly, if whether it's this film or that film, one of them, they say they're straight back from Afghanistan um, and gets put down. And he said, you know, like, just lay there or what was it? Just lay there, you know, and like it or something like that. It makes, it makes a very, you know, rapey yeah. sort of terminology. Sexualized. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because he's, you know, clearly, I mean, just stature wise in every way, shape and form. Like those two are, I mean, Brolin isn't, you know, cable ripped in this film, but he's also a big fuck, a pretty big fucking guy in this film. Um, who he's not necessarily always a big guy. I mean, if you look at his previous films, he doesn't have to be big and, and his character doesn't necessarily have to be a good big guy. He can just be a CIA agent, you know, sort of thing, you know, shoots people and is able to do things. Um, and you know, I mean, even Del Toro, who's, I think he's tall and, you know, big. he's also like outside of like maybe one scene you see him with a suit, like every other scene he's in, you know, SEAL Team 6, you know, he's in uh, um, Rainbow Six sort of, you know, all black and knee pads and everything like that sort of outfit and looks bigger than he normally looks. Um, And to the so the point, it was like Dan, you know, uh, Reggie and Macer are both like this tiniest characters and very clearly, yeah. you know, there's this divide of feminine and, and, and masculine characters. And so, I mean, like, I feel like it has to be, it, it's, it's, it doesn't come off as sexist. It doesn't come off as whatever, especially in, in a whole genre of like police films where you have so often the, the one female character is the one that's kidnapped or the, you know, like, right. oh, well, my partner, I got, you know, I hated having her or whatever, you know, got, you know, cooked up with me and I hated having her, but she just got took by the drug deal. You know, I mean, uh, dread yeah. is, a, you know, is another example of that. I mean, obviously she comes out of the other end better than, better than Emily Blunt's character, but, uh, yeah. but still it's in that same kind of world. Um, and so like, I, I get what you're saying with it, but I also don't, yeah. I don't think it's as bad as necessarily as you're saying, or maybe possibly just, you know, as it might, as it might've been. Right. Very long. Uh, <laughs> what was the other? Uh, I, I thought it's funny. I can't remember what the, uh, I had a, a, an unrelated point that I of course didn't write down, but it was one of those things that occurred to me, uh, mm-hmm. tonight about like toxic masculinity in this movie. And, uh, so that is something that ran through the film. I feel like it was very early. I feel like there was something in the boardroom scene that, Oh, the, the boardroom scene, they, they made it very obvious that they were, they did the whole, well, are you married? Do you have kids thing? Yeah. Like, uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where they would say that to Josh Brolin's character. Uh, I, I felt like the fact that Daniel Kaluuya's character was left out in the hallway almost was an intentional, and, and this isn't like, this isn't me saying this is a thing, a, a, uh, this is a situation where I think that, that Blunt's character was treated badly. I think this is intentional on the part of the filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I almost feel like that leaving Reggie out in the hallway that whole time, it's because like, well, we don't need to know this from the dude. We're going to ask the girl. See, I, re- I, I read it as the way that, um, they saw because again, I'm agreeing with you on to- toxic masculinity and the problems there, but they saw that they could, because all that they needed, they didn't actually need Emily Blunt. They literally needed right. her badge. They needed to carry her badge throughout the whole thing. 
um, yeah. which you kind of you know, eventually find out where it's just like literally we just need an FBI agent to be able to li- uh, operate legally on U.S. soil. Um, and so right. they, you know, clearly just picked the two of them and and took the woman and took it whatever, like that there wasn't going to be a problem. And whether or not it was had anything to do with female, male, I'm not quite sure about whether or just whether it was just the they knew that she was more enraged by and wanted to basically get revenge after the explosion right. from the the failed kidnapping um mm-hmm. uh release or whatever because whatever that was supposed to be at the beginning of the film um and so they just i think that they felt that way and i you know and the yeah and, and it was definitely you know i mean again it's definitely just an outside it's almost an outsider insider sort of thing in the fact that yeah. these men sitting at the table again men not removing that from the scene but the fact that these men are they're rogues, you know, they're, they're, they're above yeah. it all. They're cooler. They're, every, and that's the whole, I mean, everyone except for Emily Blunt and Daniel Kaluuya are badass and cool. Like, you know, the Macer and, and Reggie are, are thinking about things and they're provide, you know, they're, they're worrying and yeah, they're yeah. concerned, whatever the, everybody else in the film is like, shrug even down to when they go into the bank and they go back into that back back into a boardroom and they're discussing a, and she's freaking she's like well we have to it's nine thousand dollars clearly it's you know clearly it's you know yeah. i want to build a case and he's just you know they're sitting at the they're going what do you want us to do we, we put away drug dealers every day like and they're you know they want to like look for the bigger thing because they're cooler you know i mean and and obviously that comes down to again toxic masculinity but um i'm not I'm not entirely convinced that it comes down to them putting her down as a woman because she's a woman, but because of her character's position. Not a hundred percent. Maybe it's like 50, 50 percent, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was struck by the decision to where they decided to close the movie. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if there's anything that asks for a sequel and it's funny because it does it in the most subtle way possible, but if there's anything that kind of justifies the decision that, Hey, we're going to go out for a sequel, it's almost that ending where the, the moral of the story seems to be, well, that was another day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because until the trailer dropped, um, the, the ending of that film seemed like a pure fucking ending. And then the announcement that Sicario 2, Electric Blue, uh, was coming out, were they really actually thinking of doing a sequel like all along? Because it doesn't, again, it's like there's no scenario. The directors, the, everybody involved yeah. in this film, it's not a sequel sort of film. Um, and, but they completely set it up in the fact that they remove her from the scene, um, basically yeah. completely, unless it becomes a revenge, you know, like I'm going to out, you know, you people who whatever, but yeah, it, yeah, it kind of ends kind of conclusively that if she does anything, it's not going to end well for her. Um, and the characters kind of, all of the characters go beyond 
almost redemption. I don't know. I mean, I don't know completely, mm-hmm. but like, you know, Josh Brolin's character, like, I think that goes beyond the like, like, no, this is really what you were here for. And you're not, you're yeah. nothing to us. We, we will continue to exist. And he never said that, but you know, I mean, like it definitely was the intent, you know, feeling. Yeah. And Benicio de Taylor's character, like basically the two characters, who you know, are going to be in the next film. Like if there's going to be a next film and it has to be del Toro and Brolin. Um, yeah. Just because of not, not who they are as actors, but just characters within the film. And the fact right. that they set it up that way, it's, I, it's, it still amazes me that they're, that they, I, I, I'm very curious on, <laughs> I'd love to hear like the boardroom discussions of, of okaying the sequel, which again, I'm down for. Um, I just, yeah, I, I'm just very worried it's Matrix 2. Um, but, yeah. uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing that's interesting about this movie is that I feel like we're, we're seeing throughout the whole movie the like, Ends justifying the means in terms of the, uh, the JSOC guys. Yeah. And the CIA guys doing the, it's like, well, as long as we get to the point where we can do whatever it is we're planning to do. Yeah. And of course that, like, it's viewed mostly negatively in the context of this movie because our point of view character is Kate. Yeah. Uh, one, I wonder if that will still continue to be the case in the sequel because the point of view characters will be people who are more in it. But yeah. two, I found it interesting because it, it almost feels like a, a big screen version of all those like police procedurals where you spend half the episode going like, how do I get around this person's Miranda rights? Yeah. Yeah. I just, to me, it's, that's one of the most insidious elements of kind of popular culture is that so many of our stories about crime center on kind of the day-to-day procedural elements of police work, which means that then it becomes all about trying to overcome procedure and sidestep the rules. And at least in this movie, it's generally like, even if it's not said outright, it's generally accepted that that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, this, I mean, this film is fully and totally embraced, um, the idea that I think a lot of, again, you know, most cop shows, you may have the problem. Oh, I hate the Miranda rights. I hate the, you know, Law and Order, um, uh, Stabler's character on Law and Order SVU, basically every single character in this film is, is him at his worst. (laughs) But, but they don't even deal with it as a thing. They're just like, it's casual. It's just like, they were going beyond it and there's a higher order that we need to get these things done, um, which is its own kind of its own statement on, you know, how the military works. And, and, and because I mean, this is what, this is what they're doing is bringing the military and the CIA, they're bringing international military forces yeah. onto a g- American government soil. And, you know, fuck, I mean, mm-hmm. whether or not, whether or not that's already happening, um, uh, I'm pretty certain it is. <laughs> Um, but, uh, it is, it is interesting that they, that they don't, I mean, it, I, I think it, it's unbelievably helpful to the film that they don't spend, um, I'm trying to think of how many scenes other than literally the last, basically the last scene in the movie, um, where they spend signing or discussing paperwork. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's an interesting choice because it does 
I think it does exactly what you were talking about before, where if you're a red hat watching this, you can basically ignore all that subtext yeah. and say, see all the shit they could get done if they weren't just bound by these stupid treaties. And so it, it, to me, it's stuff like that is always interesting filmmaking because I feel like this is a movie that kind of tries very hard to have it both ways in a lot of ways because it does give you something to analyze and something to talk about and something to question if that's what you're looking for. But if you're not, like you said, it's like a bunch of famous people in an action movie. Yeah. And it's well done. And it gives it, and the fact that it's well done and that it's, you know, a bunch of people who either have won an Academy Award or will win an Academy Award or, you know, um, gives it a lot of, you know, it gives it backing and it gives it power. So it's, it's interest. It, the fact, I mean, the fact that I've never heard, this is not a film that I know of that's talked about within those communities. Um, you know, I mean, whether it be the alt-right and things like that, there are certain films that they love and that they kind of fetishize, yeah. you know, because, oh, yeah. it, it, t- this film proves everything they love. Never mind, it's still Hollywood and they, you know, that's supposedly something that is their enemy. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting because I haven't seen that and whether that's just because the film is too, too much so that, you know, I mean, too, too arty and too whatever. And the fact that like, I think that still you can kind of clearly say that while Brolin and Del Toro's characters aren't 100% villains, um, mm. in the kind of obviously, you know, but it is, I mean, but it is interesting that the only people in the film, um, other than, you know, other than, uh, Ted, uh, J- John Barenthal's character, the, the Punisher, um, ironically, um, his, other than, other than him, there's no other character other than Josh Brolin and Del Toro's character that commit any violence against purely innocent people. Um, right. The, literally the drug dealer, the, the, the kingpin, the, you know, the guy that dip, put Del Toro, uh, Alejandro's, um, daughter in, in, uh, acid right um Uh he's just sitting there with his family and is unbelievably calm isn't you know until literally the last second you don't see him in any sort of rage and the fact that like right he is an unbelievable he looks so much like the the moderately you know the the relatively innocent cop you know relatively you know i mean in in the scale of mexican police um, he, who is just the dad, you know, is literally introduced as a dad. Um, and that's yeah. the way you know him and you don't really, it actually takes a moment. I mean, I think, I don't think I actually, <laughs> until the second time that the guy that you see at the beginning of the film was actually the guy, the guy that, you know, uh, is the, is the cop that's, you know, helping load cocaine, I assume. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it actually takes it because it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really feed that way. Like that character seems to be some, like you kind of, as you follow him throughout the film, as they cut back to him taking his kid to soccer practice, I almost always assume that because honestly, the first time, like the the first time I watched it recently, I forgot that he's at the end of the film. He's at the, towards the end of the film and you come back to him in that way. And so I was just like, wait, does he get, does he actually get like, is he just like a random bystander that gets shot and that's like his character is it like is it that sort of i forgot whether or not it was film and which actually again is is another one of those because they deal with the 
the weird ethics of of the border um which i wish that i hope that the i hope that the second one deals with it a little bit more because it's this side this one is so much just almost 100 percent american characters um other than alejandro who is i mean for all intents and purposes basically he's an american just you know working on the american side and you don't really deal with anything you don't really see that other part of his life what what happened before you meet him yeah it's basically uh killmonger from black panther yeah, where it's yeah. like yeah. theoretically he has other lineage or whatever, but really what's important is he's a spook. Yeah, yeah, and and so it would be interesting to see because I mean you know something that again you like read you read Murder City you read um, this this author's book that I've been talking author's writings that I've been talking about um, and the complicated like basically every single person that lives in Juarez is whether they know it or not involved in the drug trade and whether it's their uncle, whether it's a brother and the fact that they were able to afford to go to college is faded, paid by their uncle. Who's a drug dealer or something, you know, and, and like he has this amazing part in his book um, uh, that just kind of like describes that basically every single person until every single person that, Oh, that actually, that actually is the, that actually is the big connection that I made. There's a scene when they're driving into Juarez right away and you see um, um, a bunch of, people strung up along a bridge, um, which is a real thing that happens and has happened, especially during the, the real heyday of the Juarez, uh, Juarez killings. And when you had like mm-hmm. 2000 people murdered every year, um, in the, in the nineties and, uh, and, you know, there's a line that they go, you know, these people, I wish I could remember the line directly, but these people, you don't even know that these people were, uh, were, were criminals until they were murdered something like that. And, and so it's, it's, there's that they touch upon, they have these like singular great little lines like strewn about the, the strewn about the film that I kind of wish they were able to delve into. Obviously this is a thing that I care about, you know, I like, I'm obsessed with this guy's writing and, and have read, have listened to and read his book like a dozen times. And, uh, um, and I wish that they delved into a little bit more and, Maybe I, I have a feeling they won't delve into the second in the second one too much because it it's kind of looks like a uh more of a pure action film. Um yeah. but but yeah, that's that's about my only that's kind of my only thing that I wish, you know, usually we do these things and and you know, we go, Oh, we really like the film. Okay, let's tear it apart. <laughs> and yeah, yeah this yeah. film, like the only thing that I kind of wish I just wish that they would have done more of that. Um, again, the, the war is boring that review, which I like, again, I'll send you the link, uh, we can put it in the show yeah. notes and, um, really goes into the fact that like, I, I, I wish that this, you know, basically you could see this film as, as being a mini, at least a mini series into attorney mm-hmm. a TV show. Like it, it almost feels like, cause again, you, I mean, as you said, it's such a bare bones film. Like I, yeah. I can't, th- I mean, can you think of a scene that you could cut out? I mean, other than the ending, which I feel like you could cut out, like if you wanted to have a different ending, but like, right, you know, they're using only the oxygen in the room that they need to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I can't think of anything. I mean, if you wanted to just get really, <clears throat> like, if you wanted to cut for the sake of cutting, yeah, you, I could, like, there are bits that I could think of trimming in terms yeah. of. Oh, well, you could cut, you know, 
half the runtime out of the the scene at the beginning where they find the bodies in the wall. And you could cut everything after the first gunshot when uh, Alejandro kills the cartel lord or cartel yeah. leader. Uh, but those are all the kind of like those are all again, like I said earlier, they made the right decisions. I don't think those things needed to be cut. I'm just saying if we wanted to get really like academic about it and go, well, well, I could cut an extra five minutes. Ha, yeah. I mean, ha, you ha. could cut out, you uh, could cut out the scene where, um, uh, Emily Blunt's character goes up on the roof and they watch the, you know, do you like fireworks? And they watch yeah, the scene yeah. where the, the fire, you know, literally the, sh- basically the gangs are fighting it out because a drug Lord mm-hmm. was, was taken out of the scene. And, and, but, I think that like every scene, you know, even the, the, the length at which they spent with that. Cause I mean, it, it, the movie opens up, you're, you're driving it, you're driving in a truck, you bash through a wall, they run in, shoot a, you know, maybe shoot one person, yeah. um, you know, do everything kind of you know, literally it's like by the books, police work. Like yeah. if you saw this scene and like, if I saw this scene, I would be, even as a person who's very skeptical of police, I'd be like, wow, they did everything perfectly. And then, you know, yeah. and then the scene, but then it slows right the fuck down, um, right after they, they notice the, the gunshot and she gets shot, which I think again, like other than that, like uh, that's where this film walks this fantastic line of being that slow dread that the score mm-hmm. builds and the, and the editing and the filmmaking adds and still, but still not being kind of a being, I, I would say, God, it's been a long time since I saw the, the Sean Penn, uh, that was 21, 21 or 28. I forget 21 grams, 21 grams. Um, yeah. Yeah. 21 grams that has, I think that that one goes, at least my memory of it. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but like that one is, there's not action. There's not like action in this way in this film. No, um, there's really not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's because it's, it's about, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's much more. I remember thinking of it as like almost the anti pulp fiction because it, it had that same kind of yeah. setup of all the intertwining plot threads. Yeah. But whereas pulp, pulp fiction, anything that was slow and like, sad and anything that wasn't badass uh would be cut this was the movie where like every time something violent was about to happen or everything something awful or or you know quentin tarantino-esque was gonna happen you cut to the next story and go back to somebody being sad (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it is interesting because i mean that that's like i think a, a whole different discussion because that was an era of uh that was was that early 2000 or late 90s uh, I think it was early 2000s because I remember watching yeah. it and uh, Mystic River in the same afternoon when they were both new releases and then wanting Good to Lord, just man. do nothing but drink for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2003 um, was when 20 more grams came out. But um, but it is interesting because that there was a whole there's a whole era, like you said, of Pulp Fiction who couldn't they even even though it wasn't straight like what was it. Uh, Two days in the valley, or seven days in the valley, or three days in the valley. Yeah, one two days. Like, yeah, oh, that was yeah, a straight up. That was a straight up. Like, oh, let's make this like a little less. Let's combine Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty and make a film. Yeah, um, yeah. and that was kind of what that film is. But there was a whole obsession where it's like, oh, but like that was still in the era of where you could make. You still kind of did that, but it wasn't as heavy the way that either Pulp yeah. Fiction was or. You know, um, and it's interesting to remember the fact that like 
there is a whole almost genre of films that came out that were like either pulp fiction, like basically they're like, okay, well here's the template of editing. Um, Tarantino yeah. did it back in the nineties and, uh, you're going to copy that and just kind of play with that idea. And yeah. <laughs> like, you don't see those films anymore outside of like basically independent, super independent films. Yeah. Anymore. I like, feel like Sin like City that. killed it. Yeah. Like, I, f I feel like since the Frank Miller Sin City, the first one killed it because even though that movie was good, yeah. it was, it was such an obvious, you know, you watched it and went, there's no reason for these things to be all chopped up except that Robert Rodriguez wants to do, yeah, <laughs> you know, that kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in Rodriguez to thing, it's not like he was copying Tarantino per se. No, was, no, no. It, his, it was also his genre of film. Like there's a reason yeah, why exactly. Tarantino and Rodriguez, you know, are, are BFFs. Uh, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> why they, and, and why they are essentially joined at the hip in terms of critics. Uh, you know, you're never going to see anybody who yeah. loves one of those guys and really actively dislikes the other. I don't think. Yeah. No, uh, it'd be very difficult too. But. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a, this is definitely a great, uh, this, this is one of those movies that I, I would say is a, is a great film more than a good movie. Uh, I, I do like, I, 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 I'm glad that I watched it. I don't know that I 100% enjoyed it all the time. Uh, I, I I kind of point to what I've said in the past about the Netflix Daredevil TV show, where it's just like you know sometimes, like sometimes I sit down to watch something and I'm just like, wow, you are taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it becomes harder for me to uh, to get on board. Yeah. Uh, I think that this cast is able to kind of overcome that because everybody in it is good and it, they are the kind of actors too where you see them come on screen and you're like, oh yeah, I like this person. And so it's not even that you have to get 20 minutes in and realize like, man, everybody's killing it. It's like you get a few minutes in and you start to see the faces and you're like, oh, this is going to be a good movie because like none of these people do shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. For the most it's, part, it's it's very very rare. <laughs> it's yeah, only yeah. A, Jonah a, a Hex, film like notwithstanding. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but like together, you know, when you get this many, yeah, 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 it's very difficult. It's almost difficult to make a film. I mean, I will say, you know, the the, the people that made Criminal, they they knocked it right out of the fucking park. There, they got together a whole shitload of Academy Award winning people, um, people at the top of their fucking careers, like like make every single person that films making blockbuster films and still yeah <laughs> <managed> to... <laughs> yeah so it's not impossible you're right yes it's um, not impossible but it's difficult but also i mean you also have i think uh you have this is basically this was like i think this was his last director the last film that he directed before um before he did oh no it's uh, arrival was which you can kind of see yeah, but yeah. Um, before he did Blade Runner 2049, which means basically that he's, I, it'll be interesting to see what his next film is because right now he doesn't actually have something on IMDb. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether he, um, first off makes a film that has, makes a film that, that is of his own that actually has more yeah. than a one word title. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Uh, Incendies, um, Polytechnic, um, Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, and then Blade Runner 2049. 
Um, which I, I when I originally looked at, I'm like, oh, that's the f- oh my god, he actually it must be a thing that he he prefers. Um, right, right. But uh, it is it, it'll be very interesting to see what he does next on whether he you know because I mean you see Fincher, um, which I, I think yeah. is, I think it's pretty good comparison. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see whether he does some whether he goes like fuck it, I'll cash that check. Um, because Blade yeah. Runner, while it didn't make boatloads of money, like, I think that everybody, it, it's one of those weird films that didn't actually make, it's not a blockbuster in the traditional sense. It made just enough money, but everybody fucking loved it. And which is, yeah. which is, I think, I mean, fucking applause to him. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure I would have, after doing, after doing Prisoners, Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, all great fucking films, all like, I, I'm sure high Rotten Tomato score film, you know, yeah. films that, you know, whether or not you like them or not, that you almost respect, like, that they're, they're good films. Um, yeah. But then somebody hands you, be like, hey, you want to make a sequel <laughs> with, uh, to one of the most highly respected genre films of, like, all fucking time? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not quite sure. I would say yes, even if it was just literally me sitting here right now, <laughs> like, or if it was me coming off of, you know, some highly successful, well, well-reviewed films, <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, you know, he did it and it'll be interesting to see what he, he does next because uh, it's actually, because it's also interesting. He's not doing Sicario too. Yeah. Um, so um, he's, yeah. he's busy doing, uh, he's busy doing Trevor's Tremor seven. God, I hope so. <laughs> wow, it's actually interesting. The oh, okay, so the wow, actually, the director who's doing Sicario Two is Stefano Salima, um, who hmm. did the Gamora TV show, um, and everything else is Osabora. Oh, I don't know what that is. It looks like Italian films, um. Huh. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting, interesting. that somebody would, get, but on the other hand, it, again, be, I, yeah. I, 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 again, I kind of compare that to, uh, to, to bring the Zack Snyder of it all back in. They, uh, when they did the hundred sequel or the 300 sequel, excuse me, yeah, yeah. uh, I can't remember even who directed that, but it was somebody who like had a really great career doing, like lo-fi foreign something or another and then a handful of like commercials or something in the u.s and it was just like here take a big swing and if it pays off then awesome for you if it doesn't nobody will blame you because everybody's going to be like well it was a sequel to 300 what do you think yeah (laughs) yeah no he literally had two credits before him (laughs) smart people which i've never heard of and no me either a TV show short for HBO. Huh. Wow, that's a ballsy switch, but um, yeah, no, I mean it. Uh, I said it'll be interesting. Um, I, I'm deeply worried about it because, again, I like. On the other hand, I think it's separated not, not only years wise, but also like it's one of those films that no one. It, it's weird to me that this film doesn't have more buzz 
or this Sicario, yeah. the first one, doesn't have more like of a known thing because I think again, it's such a solidly made film. It's made by a director who has a lot of butt, you know. Um, but right. I guess maybe it's it's just too dark for there's there's a very I think there's a very specific crowd for this film. So yeah, I mean, again, I, I would kind of draw the comparison to Three Kings in the sense that yeah. Americans, by and large, do not like to be reminded that American foreign policy is kind of yeah. indefensible. Yeah. And so I, I feel like maybe there's that element of people who watch five minutes of it realize that, oh, the cops aren't uniformly good guys. Oh, yeah. that's sad. Yeah. Uh, it, it it is interesting though because and you know, I just you know coming back from the NRA convention and uh, I listened to this guy speak who um, wrote um, this book on killing. Um, he's a um, I'm trying to remember his last name. The book out of reach. Um, but he talked about sheepdogs and wolves. How there's wolves are the you know basically school shooters. Sheepdogs are the guys with guns that will go will go run in and take out the school shooter, and then everyone else is sheep's. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because he one of the big things he talked about in the film was this the fact that he's like okay can anyone in this room name a film or TV show where the cops are good guys and the fact that Again, because it's because it's actually influencing me. It's weird. Is it like films like you know people you know people look at Sopranos and The Wire and like all these all these films and TV shows that have the criminals as not necessarily the good guys because they're still criminals, but as the person that you're supposed to look to to be. Yeah. um, and obviously, you know, I don't think the directors of Sopra- the Sopranos and the creators of the Sopranos are like, no, we want everybody to be <laughs> Tony, Tony Soprano, but yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, if you remember when that fucking show came out, you couldn't, you couldn't throw a, <laughs> God, I was going to make a really anti-Italian remark, but you couldn't, you couldn't throw, uh, anything and not find an Italian guy that didn't want to, didn't either want to be or act like Tony Soprano, at least my fucking yeah. stepfather um <laughs> it wasn't like that he loved that fucking show and you go and it is fascinating as you watch where they're try to think about what are what think about the movies or tv shows outside of fucking brooklyn Nine or something like that, <laughs> comedies that were the cops or the the traditional good guys are good guys and not even Bruce Willis sort of anti-heroes or, you know, all the characters that Bruce Willis is over, which is also interesting. Bruce Willis has started playing fucking bad guys as well. Um, like for the last 10 years, he, I can't remember the last time he played a, a good cop, you know, not even a John McClane level good cop. You know, you might have to go like the closest thing you could do it is Kevin Smith's, you know, um, treatise. Um, <laughs> but like, that's probably the closest I can fucking think of, if it, of a film where he played a decent cop. He was a cop in that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Kevin, I don't, I mean, but it's, it's, it, but. it's always hard for me to say, cause I, like on the one hand, it's like, uh, yeah, I see that, that we are moving in the direction of doing a lot more anti-hero stories and blah, 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 blah. But the other side of that is there's still 14 million police procedurals on TV where you know your your main character is you know the head of NCIS the head of the CSI yeah. the head of the whatever uh 
I don't know. It's I'm always skeptical of guys who have too much of a of a complex about like why aren't the traditional upstanding oh. white guys being well, I mean, you, celebrated. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially considering you go back and look at those fucking like the traditional ones and like outside of outside of Dragnet, where like literally the main, you know, it was it was obviously at the time it probably wasn't comical to the level of like by the book he was, but I mean, like Gunsmoke, oh, the fucking Western films where the sheriff is, you know, not, you know, I mean, almost every character that you can think of that's, you know, John Wayne never fucking worked within the law. I mean, so it is, I mean, it's completely insane to, it's an insane premise, but it is, but it is interesting because it's like, I would think even in the late nineties or maybe even the early two thousands, I could probably come up with a couple films and TV shows that did well enough that you could be like, well, that's something that's kind of in the, in the zeitgeist that you can say, you know, but I mean, you know, I mean the level, I mean, not to harp back on John McClane, but like Die Hard, I think is kind of. I can't think of another film that's as famous that has a police officer that draws, that walks the line. Um, right. or at least that has, you know, five fucking films on it. But I mean, like, he's gone way fucking past Die Hard and Die Hard 2 and even, Di- even Die Hard 3 in the level of where he would, you know, cross the line to get, get shit done. You know, he's fucking in the last one was, the last one was the Russian one, right? I mean, he's yeah, fucking exactly. breaking international fucking laws and working with his, his son who's a fucking CIA agent. You know, I mean, so it's like, it's, it's, it's fast. It is fascinating to, to see how, you know, I always expect it within art films and with, you know, more arty films like, like Sicario where you're, yeah. you're telling the story and like, yeah, obviously this, the good straight cop isn't fucking interesting. And when it, you know, and when the fact is that the good straight cop here are the two fucking losers in this film, you know, yeah. the two ones that continually get shot at, beat up and, and whatever. Um, and it's just, it's just something interesting because I'm mean, like, this guy is, is super fucking popular. And, you know, I mean, he's got a, f- a couple New York Times bestsellers. He writes with Glenn Beck and, and it is interesting to watch a, like a guy who has like a, oh my God, his audience at, at the NRA convention was devoted. I mean, like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like you could hear them, mm-hmm, you know, talking along with it. And, and it is interesting because I mean, like there's this whole world of people, you know, and whether they be the red hats or whether they just be the police officers and things like that, who it's not just the fact that they think that they're, you know, beaten down on or whatever, but the fact that they're not even represented in, in media anymore and talking about police officers law enforcement you know leos and mm-hmm. and you know and whether it be army military or whatever but i mean like you even can go to I mean, like when's the last fucking film that you can think of that that you had a, a an american soldier who wasn't um that wasn't you know breaking breaking the breaking the rules to actually get shit done and it's and it's and it's just actually interesting because it's like you don't it's i whether it's good or bad or means anything or whatever it is interesting that just because like just recently that noticed that like there just fucking isn't anything anymore um and it's interesting to see that this entire part of that honestly i think that there's that mid-budget yeah there's there's a there's a dearth of kind of these mid-budget movies anymore uh you know Movies where cops are the main character and not like CIA or military or whatever. Yeah. Are, they aren't big spectacle films. Yeah. And, but, but the fact that they have 
gunshots and they have effects and they have blah, blah, blah. It increases the budget. And I feel like by and large, what you get is this, this, it's very much like there's no romantic comedies anymore to speak of because the, there's nobody to spend that money. And uh, so I think what it is, is that we're, we're now in this weird moment where you can find a bunch of that stuff like on Netflix and direct to streaming movies and stuff like that. Yeah. You can't really find it in the theaters, but it, that I feel like that's less about kind of our culture and our values than it is about money. Because, yeah. you know, right now we're in a moment where superheroes are the biggest draw in Hollywood. And by definition, they are these kind of outside the lines figures, even yeah. though that's not really true for the Marvel characters because they're all deputized by like a shady government organization. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean it's it's definitely an interesting conversation to get into. I feel like there's yeah. a lot more to it than guys like that want to think. Uh I, Almost, I obviously it it is interesting too whether the, whether or not there actually is a fucking audience for it. I mean, the yeah. fact that like, you know, even because there's a big, you know, there was the big hullabaloo when De- Bruce Willis's Death Wish came out. Yeah. And that film didn't just flop it <laughs> fucking belly flopped yeah. from the empire state building like it fucking heart had, and they tried that world the nra world and the whole thing like red hat world tried really hard to make it a thing but it just was terrible and, and it is interesting because it's like there i can't think of a film that did that had a good cop in it that um um that was good. And th- and this is one of the problems. Is it like, is it like, I would, I would love to actually challenge as much as, again, I mean, this is weird for me making this argument. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my general feelings about uh, law enforcement officers. Um, but I would actually, it would be an interesting challenge to try to make a very good film. Um, about a a good cop and not a good cop that's like fighting the bad cops and crooked cops or whatever but right. it is interesting because it's like could you make a good film about emily blunt and uh uh and daniel Kaluuya's character i mean like could you make an interesting i suppose like there there's a film to be had there but it is interesting that the two characters out of this whole fucking thing that aren't making it into the sequel are the good cops yeah <laughs> And again, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think that there's like this grand conspiracy against police officers in the way. I mean, dear Lord, I mean, how much more celebration can we have for like law enforcement officials and, and also like, you know, army and, you know, military people. Um, but it is interesting how, you know, like sometimes you see some things and you're like, fuck, they're kind of right. I mean, they're, they're wrong, but they're kind of right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult because, again, I feel like part of the, the thinking is that we've seen every really interesting story about, like, a straight cop. Uh, you know, we even, – even in the last 15 years, it's like the, the most popular cop movies that I can think of are uh, Training Day and L.A. Oh. Confidential. <laughs> Which is funny. He particularly cited Training Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but – uh, but but it is fascinating because I mean like you think even you know everything's getting remade now um, yeah. and I don't want to go too, I'm going on already too long on this but now I'm thinking about it uh, but it's just like even you know I mean 
everything's being remade and Dragnet, you know, the quintessential straight yeah. good cop, you know, doesn't do anything wrong by the books, everything. Um, that was remade, you know, that was remade what in the nineties, eighties, um, late nineties, because yeah. I think it was when I was a kid, I grew up watching the original because it was on Nick at night after get yeah. smart. And, uh, I want to say it was the late nineties when they rebooted it because I, I watched the reboot for the, you know, 10 episodes that it ran or whatever. Oh no, I mean the movie. Oh, 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 uh, the, the movie version. Yeah. was 1987, probably 88, maybe. Um, yeah, it looks like uh, 87, uh, at least when it was yeah June 27th, 1987. Uh, which by the way, we should, we should do that. Um, but it is interesting because it's even, you know, I mean, they take even, he has to, in that film, he has to go bad to actually, you know, actually, you know, solve the crime and do everything like that. But anyway, oh my God, that's how quaint that budget, budget for that film was $20 million. (laughs) That was probably a lot of money too for that film. (laughs) It was because I can't think of, even in today's dollars, I can't think of what you spend $20 million on in that movie. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was Tom Hanks in 1987. Yeah. And Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Yeah. He was still, uh, but yeah, no, other, other than salary, I don't know what they spent. It was like, I, I, I watched that movie a bunch of times when I was younger and I, I remember it pretty well. And I'm like, they had like the, a bunch of explosives in the third act, but it was like, it, it looked yeah. like basically somebody just set fire to a pile of firecrackers. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like a real legit action scene. Well, they had the, that gangster. I mean, it was like, it was like in a car. It was back in the day when, um, the, you know, the bad guys, like their, their hideout was just in a, just a quarry like it was just clearly like they moved the equipment away and like but the next morning after they were done filming it was back to like you know digging out rocks (laughs) like which i love you because it's just like wow they just added some lighting some purple there's always like purple light because that that meant that like there was a bad guy there but it is funny i I feel like (laughs) Didn't they, as like a wink and a nod to the Blue Boy episode of the classic Dragnet series, weren't there bad guys like LSD dealers or something? Oh yeah, no, they totally were like, yeah. <laughs> and which Tom Hanks, I would just remember his character being, this is, you know, when I like Tom Hanks. Um, <laughs> um, before he, you know, before Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sorry, this is vaguely an inside joke. Uh, which I'm not even quite sure if it's just an inside joke or whether I've talked about this enough that everyone that might be listening actually knows my, my weird hate love relationship with Tom Hanks. Um, but yeah, but even he like made the, like, I forget what they were selling. It was something like way out of date even for the eighties because obviously the eighties yeah. was like fucking cocaine and they're like, what, you're selling this, this LSD? Yeah. So anyway, but no, yeah, really, whatever it was, it was a like, fucking dragnet after talking about Sicario. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is why people listen to the Emerald City Video Podcast because this is actually specifically how a conversation would have gone. <laughs> in yeah, Emerald exactly. City, in Emerald City, would be like, "Oh, you just saw Sicario. I got a film. You got to see." <laughs> Tom, let's talk about dragnet. Yeah, dragnet. <laughs> Directed by Tom uh, Tom Mankiewicz. <laughs> oh, nice. But yeah, I, I gotta see actually a b- 
By the way, um, because I googled it before, Charles Bowden is indeed the name of the guy who wrote Murder, Murder City. You corrected yes, so. yourself incorrectly. Yeah, no, um, I, I keep thinking of there's this other, um, Charles, there's somebody else who has almost the exact same name, um, yeah. and yeah, uh, it's, yeah. but uh, yeah, tr- uh, yeah, no, uh, sadly, uh, I, yeah, anyway, it does look like, oh my goodness, uh, Dragnet is on Blu-ray. Yes. Well, we shall have to uh, discuss that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did uh, following. Oh no, you you knew that. I, I bought Johnny Dangerously so that we can. Yes, we we most certainly will have to talk about that. I that's one of those films that I I deeply worry every time I watch it that it's going to stop being funny. Um, yeah. Because like I I'm trying to remember who the fuck. Oh my god! I, I, uh, I strongly suspect that Dragnet is going to stop being funny this time when we watch it. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's relatively just straight. It's straight slapstick for most of it, so it's not yeah. going to be crazy. But Johnny Dangerously was like is like forty percent references, um, yeah, and a bunch of slapstick and then gen- general hilarity. But like, I mean, but that there's a lot of Michael Keaton films that don't. <laughs> That don't stand up, even to like yeah. when multiplicity came out. Like the level oh, of yeah. funny it was, it's not that now. <laughs> no, but yeah. Oh man, you know what we're gonna do? Because uh, I'm looking at it right now on Vudu. What we're gonna have to do for Dragnet, the Dragnet 1987 movie. There is also the 1954. A uh, feature film that w- served as a pilot to the TV show. Uh, <laughs> I can buy both of them. And so we need to do an episode where that's what we, those are the two episodes we talk, or the two movies we talk about. <laughs> Lord help us all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I remember loving the TV show as a kid and not liking that pilot. So it'll be interesting to see how each of the two hold up. I watched everything but, on, Nick, uh, on, Nick, on Nick at Night, and I don't remember ever really watching um, Dragnet that much. I feel like I feel like Dragnet ran mostly later at night, so maybe you just went to sleep earlier than I did. Because uh, I, I I mostly remember it being after Get Smart. Yeah. Yeah, but I was. But I, 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 I would have looked very smart. I had like a shoe watch. phone. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Yeah, no, I only vaguely occasionally watched Get Smart. That was um a thing. Like, yeah. Which is interesting. That that's something we should actually talk about how Nick and Knight is different now, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. And uh we've already we've already drawn <laughs> Sicario out. By the way, that's the movie we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. Uh yes, yes, yes. And somehow <laughs> like, uh, oh, what what's other police films we could talk about? But let's spend fifteen literally fifteen minutes on Dragnet. <laughs> <laughs> and and just, then, and, and not even on Dragnet, but just trying to remember the film, because <laughs> that's yeah. the sort of thing that our podcast subscribers really, really want. <laughs> like, what's is that? Two, two guys from a video store just try to vaguely remember films that they once watched <laughs> <laughs> on VHS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Any final thoughts on Sakara? Might have actually had. Dragnet on beta, actually, I think about nice. it. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, uh, you know, the summary is, I, I think if you haven't seen Sicario, definitely recommend watch it. Definitely watch it before the, the, the sequel comes out so that at least you, it, I, I hope it doesn't reverse taint the film, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, and just, I mean, I, it, I don't think everyone involved in the film, I don't think it's going to be bad. I just think it's going to be a very extraordinarily different film. I think it's going to, yeah. it looks like to me, like action film and lots of dark kind of discussion of, you know, border security or whatever that this film is and drugs and things like that. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not, this is actually one thing that's kind of great about, um, I think that his, this director's films are very, uh, very close to, again, close to Fincher's films where Mm -hmm. they're, they could be, they could be written about in film school, but they also could be enjoyed by, you know, Flyover, yeah, you know, yeah. not not be derogatory, yeah. but you know, to the general, you know, more of a general. I mean, I don't think that you know, moms and things like that are gonna, you know, middle class moms are gonna really want to watch this because there's a lot of there's a lot of dead corpses in the film, um, and and it's yeah. not like kind of in a horror film way. It's in a like, oh my god, that's that's a real thing that happens sort of way, yeah. um. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, definitely check it out and make sure you can watch it at night (laughs) (laughs) so you can turn off all the lights and actually see a lot of the film. And and this is not just one of those like rip on the film. Like a lot of television is now where it's just like, it's dark to cover shit. Like I said, the beginning of this episode, but it is genuinely like, like you were talking about with the scene with the Benicio del Teller's character at towards the, towards, towards the end of the film. Um, where it's yeah. like, it just shows so much more of the film and, and it's really kind of the setting. And it's unfortunate, like, this is one of those reasons, this is one of those films I really genuinely would, would have loved to have seen in the theater again. Um, yeah. I really wish that they would start fucking doing that sort of thing. <laughs> I think, didn't we propose, it was like, came up with the idea, we were like, wouldn't it be great if you could just, like, bring in a DVD and just be like, can I just rent this theater and watch this yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. or just have like the digital download and be able to watch it with full Dolby and everything like that. Uh, because like, <laughs> I never got to see this in theater, but it's not fucking Casablanca. So it's not going to be on TMC's, you know, uh, circulation yeah. at least for another 40 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I generally agree. I think it definitely is a movie that I would recommend people watch, uh, I, with the same caveat that you had, which is it's dark and it's violent and there's going to be certain people who aren't into it. So pretty much if you, you should watch the trailer and then know that like the version you see in the trailer is kind of the sporty, sexy, fun version of this movie. And it does yeah. get darker than that in a bunch of spaces. Yeah. And so if you're, if you watch that trailer and you still think you're up for that, you'll probably enjoy the movie. Yeah. Uh, it does, I, like I said, I have a couple of little minor qualms, but overall I thought it was really, really well done, uh, and especially kind of from the technicals for, technicals perspective. Uh, it, most of my qualms are like story, and then when it comes to the filmmaking, I thought everything was right on point. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> All right, Zach, do you have anything you want to, uh, tell people about before we sign off for the evening? Uh, no, other than uh, I have a report uh, in nationofchange.org uh, about my uh, trip to the NRA convention, uh, which you should check out, and uh, just have my most recent other podcast I do 
<laughs> not the other <laughs> podcast, but the other podcast I do, uh, uh, visu.news. Uh, you'll be able to see that up, uh, uh, tomorrow night. So yeah. Nice. And we'll be back very soon. And, uh, we've already got some things recorded that I'm not even using yet. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks uh, in, in Shea Emerald City. So have a good night. Thanks for listening. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, have a good night.